Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to the show where we talk about shows with our friends. And today we have a very special show because two of our friends are joining us from the Dismembering Horror Podcast. Tim and Ryan, our friends from the Connected Podcast Network family, are joining us today to talk about our new show. So Eli, take it away. Yes, Steve, I am very excited to have more friends here. Shows are always better the more friends you have to discuss them with. So for today's discussion, we have all watched or re-watched for some of us the pilot of The Last Man on Earth. And I cannot wait to talk about this show with y'all because this show, out of all the shows that made it to my favorite shows, is by far the silliest. And we have tackled some comedies, but we have not watched a show of this caliber of silliness. So really excited about that and also about the relevance of this show, which officially launched in 2015. Did everyone read that opening text, that opening Chiron? 2020, one year after the virus. So what a timely and uh, eerily timely show. So without further ado, I want to hear from my three friends today, their first impressions about Will Forte's The Last Man on Earth. Who wants to chime in here with some first impressions? I suppose I I can speak to that since I I watched it back in 2015 as well. Um, I'm Tim, by the way, everybody. Hi. Uh, Good to see you. Um, I remember I, I actually had almost exactly the same experience this time watching it as I did the first time, other than the, the like you said, the somewhat um, uh, poignant <laughs> reality <laughs> that we've ended up in. Um, like, I really, really like the first 22-minute, like, I guess, technically, episode one, a ton, a ton, a ton. And then the second episode, I like slightly less, mm. but... I think it's a extremely well done, well shot, funny, ridiculous show. <laughs> it is definitely ridiculous, and I uh, I chuckled, you know, watching it again, uh, just thinking of the lens that you guys bring to dismembering horror and uh, really digging into you know technical aspects, um, genre aspects just every part of it. And yeah, I was really uh, curious to hear both of your takes about the pilot for The Last Man on Earth. And for anyone who's a little confused, this pilot is essentially two episodes in one, the way that it's packaged now. So we'll have to do a little research and find out if that was initially two episodes. But we all watched the two-part extra-long pilot. So it's kind of a double pilot. So yeah, Ryan, what did you think about this first watch? Yeah, first impressions. Uh, and hello, everyone. Thanks for having us. Um, I enjoyed it enough to want to keep watching it. I feel like in general, that setup of last man on earth, last few people on earth, I don't know how many people end up joining has a timeless appeal. And to see it pushed in the direction of just all out light comedy. It was almost kind of fun and refreshing in a way. Yeah. Uh, you know, we have so many dire takes on the formula. It was fun to get this one. And then I think the first, since, you know, we are talking about the two halves, I guess, whatever you'd call them within the first pilot, uh, they're so distinctly different. So just to kind of 
say something about each one, first impressions. The first part uh, I loved as just like taking that idea of when we're all at our lowest, which I think is, you know, very relatable, what, what kind of areas of our life will maybe let go or let get the best of us to see it taken to the extreme of like what you would do to entertain yourself. What is, yeah, taking things to the, um, the nth degree as far as these bad habits. Margarita uh, pools, definitely. Up yeah, there. it was great. It was like hitting a really fun <laughs> checklist. And then second half, I mean, just, I don't know, completely different, but just, you know, definitely distinctly different as soon as Kristen Skull's character is introduced. But I I think there's also just some universal appeal to the classic odd couple formula, and it feels like I hadn't seen that for a really, really long time either. Mm. Like if this is shows with friends, one of my favorite shows is Red Dwarf, which is like a favorite example of that formula, is another light uh, sci-fi comedy. Mm. Um, so, so yeah, just, I don't know, they, by the end of that second part of the pilot with both of them, I was just like, this is a really fun, classic odd couple scenario. And <laughs> they uh, both struck me as I wouldn't want to see anyone else playing these roles. So yeah, yeah, strong, strong first impression, maybe little qualms, but got a, but really didn't bother me in the end because of sort of the overall tone. Yeah. Yeah, and of course, this is created by Will Forte. Um, and he's, I believe, credited as writing part one, but not part two. So also uh, potentially why we all really felt that was really strong. Steve, let's kick it over to you. First impressions. Thank you. It was so awesome to hear from our friends from Dismembering Horror, Dismembering a bit of Last Man on Earth. That was awesome. <laughs> and I too got a kick out of this. And I have to say, coming to this show now, not having seen it in 2015, but the experience of actually post COVID 19, watching that opening was really visceral. It was really like, what? I, I just, it was, uh, there was something odd, meta, weird, just about that, that I was watching it with. Um, my wife and partner Jennifer and we both were like v vocally just like whoa <laughs> there was a there was a real vocal deep reaction to that opening card and so that that was cool I think this is a cool show to come from the mind of Will Forte who's got a really wild and imaginative sense of humor <laughs> and I I enjoyed this pilot i liked the take on it i think what was cool about it is it really comes out of this era of a, a lot of these kinds of post-apocalyptic type shows i want to lump like the walking dead in there just this sort of um wasteland of america and people having to restart everything so it was I, I definitely echo what Ryan was saying that taking that setting, but coming from this more comedic lens and him on his own was very funny and <laughs> sort of the places he went um, in particular when he's watching Castaway and sort of making fun of Tom <laughs> Hanks, like talking to a ball and then cutting to the bar scene of him and he's got like 12 balls that he's named and he's got a whole group of ball friends um i thought was for me um really great and it just hit and really quickly like a lot of the more practical i feel like you could imagine doing a lot of different things in a post-apocalyptic world but what would you really do and i feel like he nailed a couple of those with just stealing all the famous memorabilia and art from all around the country and putting it up in some house that you just broke, you know, that you're just claiming as your own and, and sort of having the best intentions of like, I'm going to do to this. I thought his relationship with God in this, in, in this piece, in this show and this pilot was really interesting. Mm, um, yeah. And the different conversations he had and how that evolved you know, till the end, um, even to the point when 
the girl finally, finally another human being and a female shows up and his prayers have been answered yet. She's so the opposite of anything that he wanted or desired that he almost has like (laughs) an aside up to God, like kind of like, really, really God. Um, But really dug the show, loved the tone and the, it's interesting. You mentioned how he wrote the first one. Um, I noticed the creative team involved is the same one involved with the into the spider verse franchise i don't know if anyone's familiar with that's right yeah and i i'm familiar because my son is a big fan and that's also very fun funny um active sort of sort of um filmmakers and minds and so i feel like they complimented will forte on this journey really well Mm, truly yeah yeah, and it's fascinating to see it now. Obviously, this is historical significance. Um, but also, just as you were saying, Steve, you know, that hasn't that desire to make these darker post apocalyptic shows, that hasn't stopped. Uh, has anyone <laughs> seen Station Eleven? Um, you know, like that's still happening to this day. And so this falls like in that so well and yet it is sort of foundationally uh opposed to those actually scary or trying to be uh serious post post apocalyptic shows so while it's eerily almost uh prescient right of what's happening currently in our world it's also a hundred percent humor and 100%, especially at the outset, Will Forte's humor. <laughs> and what I love about how this develops, and, you know, as uh, there's a woman, you know, the second character, Carol Pilbasian, is introduced, is we also can see this brilliant, like, this first part where it's just him and all the actions, everything that transpires from the montage through, like, him looking at his old place in Tucson and being like, the fuck am I living here for? (laughs) And just like driving his RV into the nicest development he can find, right? Like all of that feels like so Will Forte and so that character. And so the fact that the first other character is such a counterpoint and is this like nails on the chalkboard very quickly to his aesthetic is so great. And <laughs> I mean, she, I mean, Kristen, is it Shawl or Skull? I don't know how you pronounce her last name, but she's just amazing. You know, loved her for a long time. And think that, yeah, it is truly, these roles are made for these people and actors. Uh, Ryan? Yeah, I know. It just as far as those outward appearances that are so fun about them that are their differences that are great to latch on to. Um, I thought one of the things that stood out to me, the strongest, like what you'd want, as I put it, you know, in an odd couple setup and scenario is their like, how do their philosophical like outlooks on life sort of come to a head with each other and then sort of get us thinking. I thought there was one in there that surprised me at its kind of, doing making me do that and it's um poignancy which was when she gave that example where i was totally with uh will forte's character of the parking spot thing and being like we could just drive right like i feel like i would have probably done what he had done and just drive in there to make a point but i don't know if i would have done it after the point she made was a really good one of okay well would you do this to a church and he said no of course not well then why you know would you do that this store you would like it still has a meaning to it it's just your own line that you've drawn as far as like importance of respect of preserving something how you would uh that got me (laughs) when she said that that actually got me thinking of like uh yeah well what what world it's up to me now to determine the world i'm in you know do i want to think about that and start doing it differently absolutely and it's like that's I mean, she's basically opening one of the deepest moral questions of humanity, right? Like, she's opening this big can of worms, but it's sort of slowly, right? And initially, 
yeah, you're like on, totally on Will Forte's side. You're like, I, he, there's no one else alive. Why would he stop at the stop signs, right? Um, now, of course, she's al- like, that is actually proven false, right? They're both thinking they're the only ones. So maybe there is someone else. But initially, yeah, you're totally thinking like, oh my God, this woman is really ridiculous. But yeah, within a few, you know, scenes where all of a sudden like, hmm, wait a minute. That is a good question. Uh, that, yeah, that'd be a great twist if uh, later in the show, like he does get in an accident by running a stop sign. I don't know if that happens, but. I agree. And it's also interesting to me, what came out of, of those moments got me thinking about that. Not only are these, they're the only people in the, in the world, right? So they're trying to deal with how to navigate that morally, but also everyone they've ever known died, right? So there's also this kind of deeper trauma. And I was curious to hear what you guys thought about sort of that and how it came up in maybe some character choices or things you observed. I mean, I it's so strange that we watched this show when we did because the the day that... I watched it with my girlfriend in the evening. During the day before we watched it, we had two conversations that related directly to the show, just by coincidence. One was, and I don't remember how it came up, but essentially this idea of assigning meaning to a thing, that like nothing means anything until we, the yeah. person involved, assigns meaning to it. And that seems to be pretty uh, you know, essential theme to this, at least the the pilot. And then the second conversation was about, unfortunately, because we're in the world that we're in right now, what do you do if a nuclear bomb goes off, right? Like, what are the things you're supposed to do? And my girlfriend kind of was like, there's this long debate that she was reading of people saying, well, do you even want to survive if you know that the effectively the world is being eradicated? Like, what's the point of being alive? And do you want to try and live in a world post that event? And I, like, personally, I was like, well, yeah, I, I would, but it is an interesting question. And then you see Will Forte essentially grappling with that fact, right? Like, what do you occupy yourself with? What do you assign meaning to or not? Like which rules do you let go of or retain just for your own like personal civility or like, well, your personal uh, mental well-being? And I think all of that first 22 minutes is just so brilliantly picking that apart and seeing that like if you go down the path of completely saying nothing matters, you're going to end up swimming in a margarita pool. Like, what's the point, right? And is that fun? Maybe for the first 10 minutes, but man, you'd be sticky. (laughs) (laughs) And you don't have a shower. Right? No running water. Yeah, it's fascinating. (laughs) Yeah, it really is. It's fascinating this. um, So in today's world, even post-COVID-19, uh, we still have not only meaning and assigned meaning, but a lot of routine, right? So through all the things we have to, want to, choose to do to stay alive, basically in this world, at the outset, all Will Forte has to do is eat, drink, and shit, right? Like there's, he doesn't have to do anything else, and... So what, yeah, what does that look like when there's not only no one else, but no, like you don't have to do anything, literally. Well, and this, this castaway interaction is so brilliant because he rejects that as like a methodology right away and then obviously changes his tune to the furthest degree, (laughs) you know, within however many months, I forget, it's like six months or five months or something later, he's got 300 little balls with faces on them. Yeah, the names just kept going. <laughs> that scene was hilarious. I love how like specific they are too. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's it's really fascinating um kind of study of what yeah, what would occur and what would a given person do in this situation. 
And what I think is cool is we, through the contrasting characters, we immediately see a <laughs> giant difference um, between what he's been up to and clearly what Carol has been up to. Yeah. And also the stark almost trauma of him discovering her like in, in that moment where he was about to kill himself. And I found that to be kind of one of the most realistic parts of the pilot was just sort of him being such a mess in his first, very first interaction with her, not knowing how to deal with another person, you know, being there and just passing out and peeing himself. But that was, <laughs> that was just like, yeah, okay, that, that would work. That's probably what would happen. Yeah, it's just all too much. Yeah. yeah. I thought um, structurally it did a lot. Like you said, okay, what is, what is he going to do? What would you do? What will he do when all you have to do is worry about these three basic functions or whatever? But what they did that was so smart was they ruled out, I think, that next step of you'd search the entire United States perhaps looking for other people or clues like that just did so much to be like, okay, like that was a huge journey and task he just went on. So it just helped me step into that much more of the idea that he would end up killing himself. And then same with that second time jump where it says like five months later or something like that. Like I think that uh, those touches went a long way and I thought it was a really smart on the uh, creator's parts to sort of highlight these aspects and not be, treated to sort of a, a shorter window of time. Yeah, from a from a really like standard three act structure, that first 22 minutes lands almost exactly with what you would expect, right? You get this setup, the world that he's in, he looks for other people, that fails. Act 2, he tries to find, you know, some sort of solace and that that kind of leads him to this this high point of like, okay, now I have this amazing place with all of these possessions that I've grabbed and then things start to devolve from there, ending with this sort of like lowest point at the end of the second act, which is him being effectively rejected by the mannequin and being like, that's it, I'm done, I'm gonna kill myself. And then act three is introduction of this new person, right? Like it's the synthesis of these two first acts saying like, yeah, everybody's gone and yeah, the world's upside down, but now not everybody's gone, but the world's still upside down. What do we do? And to me, that's like really, really perfect, you know, use of that structure to set up a show. Right on. So yeah, correct me if I'm wrong. Isn't, would a TV comedy like this work in a five act structure? Um, oh God, that's a good question. Because we're not would, dismembering a horror film, Tim. No, we're I know. talking about <laughs> network television. That's a good television. question. Network, 44-minute network probably is five-act, isn't it? But yeah, is 22-minute? That's remember, the thing. Are these, are these just two 22-minute episodes kind of I like remember yeah, I from my reality show days and being an assistant editor <laughs> and uh, segmenting things into section that it was the like you know, quote unquote, hour long, that is actually nowhere near there where you would have the five acts. Got and then it. for the shorter ones, I think you would, you'd have the three main acts, but then you'd also have something a lot of times if it was the sitcom format, the like intro or cold open or setup, and then the sort of opposite end of the spectrum of like the wrap up where, you know, they, they say the lessons that they learned, you know, that episode, you know, Danny Tanner spells it out for them that that's the traditional structure. Hmm. Makes sense. Cool. Yeah, because I, de- I mean, it definitely has this vibe of two two episodes that were sort of combined to make this one pilot. Because when she shows up, it's this whole <laughs> it's this whole journey of him and her, and him being completely like, "Oh my god!" And yeah, um, looking I- <laughs> at the pilot as one thing, I think that would be the midpoint turn. Someone else is right. still alive, and they bump into each other. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and. I love, so I love how where you're introducing a character who just went in the completely opposite direction that he did in regards to trauma, experience, dealing with his new reality of this world and her, him giving up all control ultimately and her sort of 
wanting to maintain some type of control or understanding of of what what's going on and like Eli said I mean then they come together and it's um I think Ryan you said odd couple it's like a great way to great way to put a great archetype to use because they are the most odd couple ever <laughs> yeah and um when you were just saying what you did you know we're giving context to where the different places they're at you know when she's introduced and where he's at when she's introduced it makes me kind of it's fun to imagine as an exercise what would her uh side of the story look like because she's coming from the point of view where she found his signs from wherever else she was in the country. So she's coming from a place of extreme hope in a way where she doesn't know if she's going to find like a group of people or what. Or, I mean, she's basically where he's at when then he sees the smoke signs. Uh, but, you know, he's still overall more depressed then. But, um, oh, just interesting to see that maybe she's... Yeah, she definitely comes across as a more optimistic person, but it's interesting to think about how much just is that their uh, their situation once we step into it. You know, she's been on a cross country trip with maybe some hope tracking down these signs when he's been on the opposite <laughs> trajectory. Well, and it also sort of, I mean, by the end of the pilot, it proves to be that she just she had a longer tolerance like her her ability to to hold out the idea of like sticking to these rules and stuff it ultimately does cave in on itself right like she gets a board out and has to start pooping in a fountain right like she gives up and that's yeah. i think um, it's such a good turn because then they effectively both have to sort of change who they are like inherently in that moment because he doesn't like to see that she's given up and it it spurs him along to actually be useful for once yeah yeah, that was a great turn and his comedic sort of genius in that moment again like i feel like that was um for me one of the funniest moments of that entire pilot was was <laughs> the the like discovery of the garden being with water attached <laughs> and that exchange between the two of them. And then. <laughs> oh yeah. I love that. That was actually probably my biggest laugh when he was like clarified with her. Just want to make sure you knew I actually did this. Right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And it was really hard. I had, I had to stay up all night and I had to go to the library yeah. and read shit. <laughs> it's like, well, we can just, we can talk about that. This, how great this was later. <laughs> yeah i do think it's important to remember too when this show was made we were like the world had just experienced its first sort of in in the most like in our generation let's say the biggest disease scare of the of this century essentially um the ebola outbreak in in africa started in 14 and I think 15 was the year where it was like, it was scary. It was like, oh, we've got one case in the US, you know, and the Obama administration did all of these things to sort of say, oh, we we have to actually address this as a possible thing in the future, you know, and like created a task force and did all of these things. And then just the, like you said, Eli, the prescience of it being that like we kind of as a uh, globally saw the writing on the wall and how bad something like this could be. I think that's why a lot of these shows existed in the first place is that it's it's always been a threat, you know? And so when you take the the scary aspect of that, like the just the deep, deep fear if you actually look at something like that, a lot of the time, and I think I'm included in this, our only real like uh, response is to look for some level of humor in in just the the sheer dread of all of that. And I think this show in particular is really effective at showing the absurdity of of the loss of all of that. I mean, him just. <laughs> eventually being in a suit of armor with a tennis ball machine <laughs> shooting into his head, to me kind of encapsul encapsulates the whole thing. It's like, it is futile, right? Like, seemingly at least. Ooh, that was and a double so, entendre. 
I mean, really, right? It like, what do you do? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and what I love about this as well is, and I think when they introduce Carol, it's a little clearer, is this notion that gets sort of, I think, bandied about in these types of shows and movies even, of like the ones left behind, like why were we left behind? Like, are we chosen? Are, I don't know if you guys have seen HBO's The Leftovers. Um, yeah. Right? Like, so uh, The Leftovers actually a much smaller percent of the population disappears suddenly. But similar type of thing of like any disaster or large-scale eradication, the people that survived are not only left to grapple with everything that we've talked about already post apocalyptic fallout, depression, lack of anything to do, anyone to do it with. But they also are faced with this question of like, why me? Survivor's remorse. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's something I appreciated about these first episodes and not knowing, you know, where the show goes, but that there is zero of what is this thing that wiped out humanity? Like we have no idea. All we sort of know is that there are no bodies left behind and he and then her are the only ones who survived. And there's no special uh, physical traits about him or, you know, he's not set up to have been under some experiment when it happened, like whatever, just going in blind like that. It was it was nice because then it could just give that focus to the human element so much more and be like, guys, it's cool. We have a whole show to go this direction if we want to. Yeah. Yeah, and I think as that second part, I think also like these are two different episodes and Hulu just like put them together somehow. But anyhow, more to talk about, more fun for us. But um, yeah, I think as they, especially as they get, as we get into that second part and really get to know Carol a bit, um, I think part of what they're really showing is, you know, their sort of odd couple and differences, you know, oil and water a little, but also just this notion of like, yeah, like if a deadly virus wiped out 99.9% of the population and it only a couple people survived, who knows who they would be or why? Like it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. And the universe doesn't make sense in the way humans try to make it make sense. It doesn't make sense, period. And this is, in a way, kind of pointing that out and just, I think, like a really humorous way to show us that now in these, you know, two parts or, you know, opening uh, view of this world, the two last people, at least seemingly the two last people, uh, are just this hilarious odd couple and there's no reason or explanation for why they, other than that one's male and one's female, why maybe they're seemingly the last two, right? Like they don't possess any amazing redeeming qualities necessarily. In fact, they both seem like kind of annoying. <laughs> Although Carol's obsession with grammar is super funny and endearing. Brutal. Uh, I love that point where he's like, that can't be right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. To with which or whom are you? <laughs> I mean, it's just amazing. But yeah, really like, uh, it's amazingly poignant and really raises a lot of questions. Freaking Will Forte nails this one. And yeah, I love that just in these first two parts and uh, what was literally a Fox half hour uh, network comedy, um, he's like actually tackling a lot of stuff. Um, the big one for me too is that you you're reducing this idea of you know we get to choose most of the time in the world who we interact with, and we can if we don't like somebody or we have a different viewpoint, we just leave that situation. Like we have that freedom a lot of the time, but like. That's not really constructive. It's not like in the broad scale a good way to coexist in the universe. And this is essentially saying like if it were just two people, you can maybe find common ground no matter how different you actually are. Like maybe there is a reason or a point to finding common ground and exploring 
the value in another person's viewpoint rather than just wholesale rejecting it because it doesn't align with your worldview. And like, we're all experiencing that in it, as humans all the time, but like we, we kind of jockey for position in relation to that so much. And like, whether it be political or, or whatever it is, we, we could, and I think the show is kind of pointing at this, we could actually explore what's, you know, what another person has to offer and be a little more lenient <laughs> and and not so quick to just reject whatever they're coming with. Yeah, because the show does do that. It does highlight that by, I think, doing what you'd want from this and showing that they eventually do arrive at their commonalities that are always the most baseline universal ones having to do with survival and wanting the best for humankind. Like they get there in the end after, after they kind of dig through and wade past these uh, more obvious outward annoyances for each of them. <laughs> annoyances. <laughs> understatement. <laughs> Great points all around for sure. And she does really challenge him moving in next door and and just everything about what she what's important to her to maintain her sanity is sort of really flies in the face of yeah where he's at in that moment well you guys kind of mentioned in the moment earlier where when she reaches her lowest point and starts using the fountain for the restroom I thought that was such a smart way <laughs> for then like that's the only thing that then gets him to snap out of his whatever because it shows deep down that he, even if he was aware of it or not, he was seeing some kind of hope or humanity that was represented in her still trying to, you know, still being the one to carry that torch. So on some level, like, she was the only thing left that was representing any kind of hope for him, again, whether he was aware of it or not. So it's just really smart way to, to show that, and realistic way to be like, what's the only thing that then could get him to step up? It's so yeah. true that like when you're by yourself, like whatever, you know what I mean? Like it doesn't matter. You could do whatever you want. But the second you introduce somebody else, you you change. You have to change. You have to consider that another person exists. And like that's that's true with anything, right? I mean, <laughs> it's like... When I was a kid, I used to value so much when I would get home from school because I was sort of a, a, what's it called, a latchkey kid. And, you know, I'd get home from school and have these like two, three hours just totally by myself. And I loved it. But the second I heard the car in the driveway, I was like, oh man, yeah. fun is over. Yeah. And like, <laughs> that's, that's sort of uh, a single-minded thing, right? Like, Actually, what I'm doing is just saying, okay, well, I can't be super loud and obnoxious anymore because I have to consider that another person is going to be in the room and they'd probably be like, yo, stop yelling or screaming or whatever I was doing, singing to, you know, whatever, Queen <laughs> or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, and that... That, uh, you know, first part and setup of the reality and of where Will Forte has come to in the second part, you know, when this actually brings out his humanity and compassion, I think that's really, truly a commentary on, you know, that part of humanity as well, because they've <laughs> painted a pretty gross picture of this person and you know humorously and uh some of the things he did looked amazing i would want to do those in his situation but certainly <laughs> a pretty grotesque vision and especially as they meet he's wearing those like you know old boxer briefs that are just filthy and the hoodie and then he soils himself yeah. and it's like he, he is they did just a good a job. Mess. <laughs> they did they did a good job making him seem like he was past the point of no return. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they really did. As far as just 
things that he was doing on his own to pass the time or whatever, where he was prioritizing his time, I thought that the final example, if you will, of the Jenga tower was like the perfect perfect one to go out on, just the the obvious phallus metaphor. It's like, really, what is he doing here? He's building it like as high as it can go. For what purpose other than just to make it as big as possible? Like, I just, that really took And he's cheating, was, uh, right? Yeah, he's yeah, <laughs> and he's, exactly, <laughs> the fact he's gluing it together. Uh, yeah, that was the fun, perfect metaphor. I, that was, I was very tickled by that. Yeah, and that, just that scene of, like, the truck is full of, like, he's gone back to the store for more Jenga sets. He's got, like, a the back of, you know, his bed of his pickup full of Jenga sets, and he's, like, torn between his Jenga tower and this uh, sprinkler system. Um, yeah, yeah it shows whatever <laughs> attitude he's embracing, it's, like, to what end, guy? You know, it sort of made him realize that, where it was, like, well, right. there is a ceiling here, <laughs> you know? Yeah, there was, there was definitely, like, a mini climax when he, when he raided the tomato garden, right? And he had that kind of, <laughs> like, wild man, like, raccoon look in his eye and he even went as far as to like blame it on oh it must have been some raccoons well and, and that's, that's just, that is the decision point right like yeah. is he he is behaving as an animal at this point is he going to follow through with losing all of his humanity or is he going to actually like own up to it mm-hmm. yeah 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 and what's amazing is uh of course this is a, a four season show ran for and so there's a lot more episodes coming and so there are aspects that have to set us up for more story and I love that it just like they sort of like come to this place of understanding and he does this amazing thing and then they kind of warm to the idea of like well we are the last two people on earth we kind of need to make babies and he kind of has come around, right? Like initially was so aghast, like, oh, I'm not going to, if you were the last, you know that expression? Well, <laughs> right? And then he warms to it and uh, is kind of like, okay, well, uh, I guess I should go wash my balls. And um, <laughs> she- <laughs> which is uh, one of his catchphrases. I won't spoil anything, but uh, <laughs> is something he says. And then she's like, oh, no. You know, we, of course, couldn't, couldn't sleep together out of wedlock. So we get this final, you know, uh, plot point that I think stokes, you know, just serves to stoke the tension and not let us leave these, this, you know, second part or first entree just feeling like they're now in harmony. That's not the show. This is not yeah. a show about I, I love the moment. harmony. <laughs> When he, when he steps outside to process it alone and he just winds up screaming tomatoes. <laughs> he yeah. just can't, he can't make any sense of it. And he's just like, tomatoes! Kind of um, <laughs> similar to the, the example I pointed out earlier of when she brings up the church. Uh, that I, I thought, yeah, something similar to that in that scene, it just really stood out to me was again when she was like, oh, we, we have to be married first. And then so he starts freaking out. That's the stupidest thing I've ever heard. It's ridiculous. Da, da, da. And then she, what she said back and was so smart. It's like, well, if it's meaningless to you, then why not just do it? Like, it was, it was a great moment. It's really great. And it's really fascinating how, um, yeah, how they've like really pitted these two characters against each other and likely showing these like two polar archetypes of like what could happen right in this situation and it's just fascinating as every good show that lasts multi-seasons the journey their relationship takes of course over the show is going to be just exponentially uh growing from this but it's such a great starting point and of course just looking at these two, I just love where they sort of, yeah, they set them totally apart, bring them together till they're almost meeting and then split them again for the end so that that uh, tension, that interest, that what is going to actually happen between this odd couple is like restored at the end. Yeah, I, I got to say like, 
watching these two episodes, you know, like I said at the beginning, in both experiences, the first time I did it, whatever that was, seven years ago, and now I'm still left with the same feeling of like, I don't know if if I, like I don't know where they're going to go with the show. Like where, well, like what can they do with the show that's going to make me want to keep watching? And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. You know, like in some terms, it should be a good thing that I'm like curious to know how they're going to make this a show, uh, especially a show that goes for four seasons. And so like, but I'm not overly compelled to find out. So I don't, I'm kind of left being like, oh, I don't, know. I don't know if they succeeded ultimately for me. You know, like, is it enough for me to watch more episodes? And I'm like, mm, not, maybe not. And that I think is um, really speaks to, and we will definitely, we'll do some more research on like why these are one content piece in Hulu. Mm-hmm. Because think about if it ended after the first 22 minutes, you'd probably want to to watch two, right? And then once you're through this, like, well, 22 minutes more. I'll just see what happens in three. Sure, yeah. Um, And of course, I don't want to spoil anything. I have seen the whole four seasons, and it is my job to not spoil anything. Um, But I will say for Tim and Ryan, uh, who may not necessarily podcast with us for the next few episodes, I 100% think you should watch the next 22 minutes. And as we do on shows with friends, we always watch the first three. So if you consider these actually the original first two, I would say watch the next 22 minutes before you decide firmly either way. Because I do think the way that we look at the pilot then two and three applies more to this and the next one to really viewing them as three episodes. Interesting. Um, yeah. I could see Fox rolling out like a special two episode premiere and then Hulu having just packaged it as one episode upon sure. streaming release. I did want to ask you guys what you thought if about this idea. If when I watched it, one of the main things I took away, one of what I felt was a theme that wasn't super forward but i thought was there was the this idea of misogyny and this idea that he was the last man on earth and he was sort of just begging god for this woman to show up and then when she shows up he had all these issues with like how she looked and her appearance and meanwhile he was a total disaster and i was just wondering if you guys thought that maybe that was something that will forte maybe wanted to explore with this show or not or maybe this was something that is just subconsciously a part of the show. I feel like, I mean, that's actually something I wanted to mention where I almost tip my hat to them to, for going to some super sticky, tricky territory where you directly compare how Kristen Skoll and Alexandra Daddario look physically like and make a gag out of it, you know? That seems, um, <laughs> I don't know, you know, it, it's certain ways of thinking. Maybe that's something you should never do or it's, it's just obviously offensive. But in the context here, it's like you can't help but acknowledge on just like some human element there is like a truth there. So I don't know. Like I don't, I don't have anything necessarily to say about it other than i certainly aware of it and acknowledged it. And in the end, I'm glad yeah. they did it. Yeah, everything was like, well, I'm horny, so yeah, I'll have sex. Let me wash my balls. Like it was, you know, there there was an absence of of real connection that was like genuine thoughtfulness for this woman or this person. You know. Well, I think a big part of it too is is the setup is the fantasy versus reality construct right and so Mm. like you can do that and and that's a thing that we all do but and i think the the usefulness of that in the storytelling is that we do have to face reality and come to terms with reality and if we let ourselves just fall into only fantasy like 
we're going to fall apart. I mean, essentially, he is the product of fantasizing the world. I mean, look at the things that he's done in the face of, like, quite literally the worst event on the planet, right? Like, he's still holding on to things in a completely fantastical way. He's wearing Jordan's jersey. Like, that's just fantasizing, right? Like, that's it's absurd fantasizing. So, like... Her character really, I think, serves a bigger purpose and is almost like a, I mean, it's teaching him the lesson of your own implicit misogyny needs to be checked, right? Because that's not reality. And like, you can fantasize all you want about these things, but like at a certain point, humans exist and you have to come to terms with the reality of that. Great point, fantasy versus reality, especially when he went from, that full scene where he's talking to the mannequin and it's just him talking to then when he just has to listen to Christian Shaw's character speak for 45 minutes. <laughs> right. I mean, another really amazing device that they use is him carrying around this gun and using it just to like go through a door, right? Like just blasting a window. It's, it's this built in, you know, gunslinging, misogynistic, you know, like masculine thing that he's just, it's just built in already with him. But she is the 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 thing in the world that has to sort of put that in check and be like, yo, you, you know, like that doesn't really work. So her character, I think, is actually an affront to this almost toxic masculinity construct. And maybe the show goes further into that, but it seems pretty purposeful. To me, at least. It is definitely purposeful. That's all I'll say. And I think it's, um, yeah, and I think it's really fascinating also where, just what you were saying, Tim, like, um, he puts the, this is a nine millimeter pistol he's, you know, toting about. He puts it in the back of his worn out boxer briefs, right, as he's walking. And this is a literal fantasy because that wouldn't stay there. That gun would be so heavy. He wouldn't be able to carry it or yield it the way he's doing. Like, this is actually a fantasy that we're seeing because it wouldn't work quite this way either. Like, and that scene where he puts it in the back of the boxer briefs, I noted that as in, like, they're literally showing us this is fake. Like, this isn't real. This is not reality. Yeah, I don't know. I think there's... That's true, but I think there's a distinction between like a better way how I define it is it's establishing it's it's using rules of a movie and TV show world. Like watching it, I didn't question it in that moment and make it go, this is distinctly fantasy. Like I think, you know, it's that that is often one thing, you know, in, in movies and TV shows that let slide, or if you aren't thinking about it, you aren't aware is how heavy guns are. You know, it's this so line <laughs> that you can ride. So um yeah, it was more in the uh, the overall just kind of like pushing the comedic tone things that maybe put it more in um, uh, a fantasy world for me. Or, I mean, just the setup overall, even if the words, you know, um, pandemic and stuff do strike a certain more realistic, visceral tone now, it still very much felt like, you know, science fiction still in a setup. Um, anyway, yeah. just, to, just to, I guess, a, a bit of a counterpoint. I didn't... It wasn't uh, forgetting how or thinking about how heavy a gun would actually be that made me think of this in terms of fantasy. <laughs> but yeah. also one one other thing to to note is that when she pulls a gun on him, he really you know is like whoa 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 like like put it please put that away like so when you see her exhibiting this sort of male fantasy you know uh, dirty Harry style kind of like gun in the face and she cocks it, he really is, you know, taken aback by that. And rightly so, I guess. But but just showing that, you know, juxtaposition, I think, is speaking to the thing that we're we're pointing at, you know, in the first place. So I think the show's very aware of it. Definitely. Yeah. I, I found it frightening. The gunshots to open the door they made me jump every time because they were just so random. Like, it's just such a weird sight or thing. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, there's no one around. So he can just do that. <laughs> yeah. And 
there's some great aspects to how they just set this up and um, both in, you know, just sort of the action that Will Forte carries in the beginning, but also there are parts of this reality, you know, Ryan, you were speaking to this a little bit, that are completely just assumed slash we're dropped into a world that is pretty familiar, but some things aren't explained. Like, why isn't there running water? Right? Like, okay, we could think logically why that might have failed, but but so they don't really set exactly like the world and what is and isn't the way we know it as the viewer. Um, so there are there are little things here and there that are kind of assumed and that we just know from TV and movies. But then there's also this like clear intention, and I think we've really done a good job of covering a lot of it. What what I love is that um, even in these like first two parts um, or first two episodes, uh, as they were maybe originally released, we're already seeing that this is not a show about um, character archetypes that stay static, right? So there's going to be growth in these characters. And that, I think, is something that without spoiling or saying anything about future episodes is really cool and something that will uh, be super relevant is the way that these characters grow and change and how that is, you know, somewhat in our minds, maybe pretty realistic and pretty poignant, right? Like it's, as we've said, there's a lot of like really interesting stuff that comes up just in these short little comedic episodes uh, within that, their interplay and the character archetypes, interpersonal, um, male, female, misogynist, like there's so much and they just, like this show really dives into it and, you know, kudos to Will Forte for being uh, prescient, for diving into this stuff and um, Steve and I and hopefully y'all will, you know, watch some more, see a little uh, more of where it goes. But I think it's fascinating to see all of this, right, in a show that was a network, a Fox network, you know, half an hour comedy um, we started shows with friends with another Hulu show, Casual, which is a Hulu original streaming comedy. Also really, really great, really funny short comedy. And we talked a lot about how much they fit into and how rich those episodes were. And this does that kind of on another level. Uh, obviously, the production uh, and writing and stuff's great. I mean, it's a, an awesome show done by people who know what they're doing. Um, but yeah, the way that it's already clearly a commentary on human behavior, just morality, so many things in these short little comedic episodes, I think, uh, is part of why it's uh, a show that we could talk about for about an hour, it seems. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to just extend a big thank you to our friends, Tim and Ryan, and Dude. you can catch them on their podcast, the Dismembering Horror Podcast, part of the Connected Network family. And thank you guys so much for coming on. And we are gonna keep watching this show. And if we get through the whole first season, perhaps you'd like to come back for the finale, and we could do a wrap up. That would be fun. Ooh, that fun. would be great. Yeah. So Steve and I will watch the next two episodes. We're for better or for worse, locked into Hulu's 12-episode first season now. Uh, so we're going to watch two and three, which is two and three on Hulu, and come back for the next show. But before we go, just another thank you. And uh, we would love, actually, before we go, for Tim and Ryan to uh, tell us, if they can, any upcoming episodes or movies they're going to tackle, maybe. Sure. Ryan, you know you know all of the details. What what's in store? We just did Leprechaun Returns for St. Patrick's Day. Yes. Yes. Our newest episode coming out is going to be the new release film X. Which we Ooh. yeah, was very exciting to get into. New Ty West film. 
Yeah, Very that was cool. a fun discussion. And then we're doing another new release film after that, I believe. Uh, it's called You Won't Be Alone. It was uh, some kind of new Sundance witch horror movie. I think after that, I think we're doing an old film, like a 40s film, Ooh, um, yeah. I think is after Love that. It. But we'll Love it when out. you cover the classics. Yeah. Um, well, everyone listening, I we really invite you to check out Dismembering Horror because it's just such a great podcast and they do such a great job That's breaking right. down these horror films. And thank you again for coming on, Tim and Ryan. Thanks for having Thanks for us. Having this us. Is great. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, this is going to do it for this episode of Shows with Friends where we covered the pilot, the two-part giant pilot uh, for The Last Man on Earth, the Will Forte created comedy. And come back with us next time for two and three, or the next two episodes after this double one. Without the boys, unfortunately, from Dismembering Horror, but Steve and I will be back, and we'll see if we can get them for the finale later on. Thanks for listening, y'all. Thank you. Hello, friends, and thanks for listening. We just wanted to take a quick moment and let you know that we are really excited to be a part of a growing podcast network. It's called Connected Podcasts, and there are many other great shows on the network that we think you are going to enjoy. That's Connected, C-O-N-N-E-C-T-D, podcasts.com. Thanks for listening.